KCUR Studios, I'm Suzanne Hogan. And I'm Cody Newell. And this is Question Quest. We're setting out to find landmarks. Oddities. Legends. All the curious things in the Midwest that make you wonder, what's up with that? We'll put them in two decks of cards, shuffle them up, and take turns each week sending each other on a quest to find out the answer. So this is the last episode of the season, and it's your turn, Suzanne. Which one do you want? The middle. Okay. I'm scared. The Black Angel of Oakland Cemetery in Iowa City, Iowa. Local legend tells of mysterious powers surrounding a black angel statue that stands over the graves of three members of the Feldevert family. Who were the Feldeverts, and what stories float around about the angel? And there's a picture of a black angel with its arms spread and it's looking down in a kind of menacing nature. Do you know anything about this? Um, I know very little. Not a whole lot. Have you seen it? No, I have not. Only in pictures. Okay, cool. There are a lot of like supernatural like theories around it. Though. I'm sure. <laughs> it's one of those weird like local legends. So I guess this means I'm going to Iowa City. Yeah, but before you head off, let's take care of a little business first. Do you know your legislators? And do you know the major issues in your state? Well, we're not going to answer those questions here, but if you head over to a different KCUR Studios podcast, Statehouse Blend, they're going to answer those questions for Missouri and Kansas. You can join hosts Brian Ellison and Sam Zeff as they talk with politicians over coffee and donuts and talk about the issues in each statehouse. That's Statehouse Blend on iTunes or Google Play. All right, back to the quest. This quest to find the story behind the Black Angel of Iowa City starts in maybe my favorite place to start a quest, the library. I meet librarian Maeve Clark at the Public Library in downtown Iowa City. But this is the area of town. There's a map here. Maeve helps me find all the books and papers written about the Black Angel. She points me to a video about the history of Oakland Cemetery. It's hosted by Irving Weber. He's a well-known local historian in Iowa City. I'm standing here beside the celebrated Black Angel, undoubtedly the most uh, striking, the most dramatic monument in Oakland Cemetery. In the film, the monument towers over Irving. It's nearly 13 feet tall. One winged arm is spread out to the right, and the angel's head is hunched over as it's looking down to the grave below. The headstone reads Rodina Feldevertova, meaning the Feldevert family in Czech. It's where the remains of Teresa and Nicholas Feldevert and Teresa's son, Eddie Dolezal, lay to rest. And probably it's the most uh, talked about, written about uh, monument uh, in the state of Iowa. I'm interested that it's Czech. I didn't know that. Oh, just wait, Cody. Ooh! (laughs) There is a lot written about this sculpture. It's been the point of inspiration for countless works of fiction, poetry, art, and news articles. It's become one of the most iconic symbols of the city. And Maeve Clark, the librarian, she grew up in a small town near Iowa City. And she says the angel's reputation spreads across the state. She still remembers visiting it when she was a kid. It was a really big deal to come over to Iowa City and to see the Black Angel. What would you guys do? Look at it, get scared. You know, you're in a graveyard in the middle of the night that's closed, and there's this Black Angel. 
No way would I go into a cemetery at night. Absolutely not. Why not? Because it's just like weird and it's creepy. I don't know. Like I, there's something really off-putting about it. I don't even like being in a cemetery in the day. You don't like to be scared. I mean, no. Does anybody like to be scared? Well, yeah. I mean, tons of people do. That's why they go to cemeteries at night. I mean, you're not supposed to be there after dark, but (laughs) still, people go. And there are lots of wild stories about the Black Angel. Here's Becky Dewing of the local historical society. If you touch it, you'll die. (laughs) Steve Easley owns Black Angel Tattoo Shop. I've heard that it's been struck by lightning, and, and that's what caused it to turn black. Author Tim Parrott. It came over from Europe on a boat, and it fell into the sea and turned black. No one ever explained how it fell into the sea and they just immediately got it back on board, and it didn't just sink to the bottom. And you know, Iowa City is a big college town, and around the University of Iowa, everybody has heard of at least some wild tale. I talked to some people at a bar near campus. The statue turned black because she had uh, committed adultery and then killed herself. Boogity boogity. Yeah, but at 2 in the morning, it's a much better story when it goes down like that. The whole, like, if you kiss somebody at the Black Angel, if you kiss the Black Angel at midnight, you die or something like that. And local historian Bill Hibbs told me about what students used to say back in the 1960s when he was a University of Iowa student. The story went, and very unfair, but if they kissed a lady under the black angel, if the lady was innocent of sex, the angel would turn white. That's that's among one of a thousand stories. Okay. Wait, so all these people can't believe these things, right? I think the people that I talked to that you heard from just there don't. I mean, I was asking them about myths they had heard. But some people really do believe in some of the stories. Do you want to hear some more of them? Yeah. Every Halloween, the angel turns one shade darker as a reminder of all the people that she's killed. Oh, wow. A preacher's son is buried beneath the angel, and it turned it black because he actually murdered his son. Oh, my God. Um, it's been said to be a monument for either an Italian or German soldier from World War One. I. I mean, it's been the subject of a lot of TV shows about paranormal activity, and it's been featured on lots of websites, you know, as a haunted Midwest destination. As you might imagine, it attracts a lot of visitors around Halloween. I would think so. I mean, this seems like it'd be perfect for a, a spooky outing on Halloween. So do you want to hear about the spookiest thing that happened to me while I was in Iowa City? Yeah, I do. Well, I was at the historic Hilltop Tavern, which is the bar closest to the cemetery. And I was talking to some people about the Black Angel. And then the power went off. I was going to say, I was like, like she's, I'm like, woo, Jimmy. Ooh. And it came back on. So, yeah, nothing really spooky happened to me. Oh, okay. Do you believe that things can be, like, haunted or cursed? Man, that's a hard one. Do I think things can be haunted? I don't know. Like, there's definitely some weird things that can happen and, like, spark your mind to think, like, oh, wow, that was weird. Like, I don't know what's going on here, but... I don't think I've ever experienced anything that I was like, that's definitely haunt. Like a ghost came to me at night and it's nothing like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm also I'm not the type of person to jump to that as the first conclusion. Sure. Though I do believe that things can have energy and that there's a lot of, you know, it's a big world with ultimate possibilities. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not one to rule it out. Sure. But it's not my first conclusion always. Okay, that's probably a good way to be, I would think. Did you feel any sort of weird energy around the angel itself? So I tried to approach the grave like just a normal headstone. Mm -hmm. 
without any preconceived ideas. I'm here to pay my respects to Eddie Dolezal and Teresa Feldevert Dolezal and Nicholas Feldevert. And actually, Oakland Cemetery is right by another cemetery and a park. So the landscape there is really vast and pretty. There's lots of big trees and wildlife. I saw quite a few deer. And the Black Angel statue up close, I think, when you really take a look at it, is actually really beautiful. It's too bad. You can see it's been vandalized over the years. People have scratched graffiti into it. And you can see that some of her fingers are missing or that maybe they've been taken off. I'm not really sure. But there are also obviously a lot of people who have come to pay their respects to the angel, and they bring offerings. There's always coins on the black angel or in the grass around it. Russell Buffington is the cemetery's groundskeeper. He says he finds bottles of liquor, flowers. Lots of people have even been married in front of it. He took me on a drive around the 40-acre cemetery, and he told me that there are 25,000 people buried here, and there's still a lot of room for more. People come to the cemetery to pay their respects to lost loved ones and also to jog and bike. But a lot of visitors come just for the Black Angel. Russell says the most bizarre one was just a few months ago, a woman who believed she'd been cursed by the statue. She said her and her husband came here several years ago. They both kissed the Black Angel on the foot. He got some rare disease, and they're convinced that it was the curse from the Black Angel. Russell says he doesn't believe in curses or those types of things in general. Really, in the past three years that he's worked there, the only problem that he's had with the angel is that he frequently bumps his head on the wing whenever he's trying to mow around it. (laughs) He believes the true story behind the angel, the story of Teresa Feldevert and her family, is a sad one. But it's a story that's far more interesting than all the local lore. I mean, I think she was a quiet person. I think she would probably be a little unhappy with the way it's all perceived. So here is the true story. On September 19, 1835, Teresa Karajek was born in the village of Strimolov, Bohemia, which is now in the Czech Republic. When she was 30, she married a physician from Moravia, František Dolazal. Two years later, they had their first son, Otto, but he unfortunately died when he was only two weeks old. Soon after this loss, Teresa decided to become a midwife. She delivered nearly 100 babies. She had her second son, Edward, in her late 30s. When Edward was four, she left her husband and her hometown and came to America. Why she left, we don't really know. A lot of people from what are today's Czech Republic and Slovakia immigrated to Iowa in the 1850s to farm, work on the railroad. In Iowa City, the Bohemian immigrants congregated in the northern part of the city in a neighborhood called Goosetown. It got that name from all the geese living in the area. And that's where Teresa first ended up. She lived with a man by the name of Joseph Kriz, actually, Josef Kriz, and uh, he was actually a relative of mine. Tim Parrott is Czech. His family came to Iowa City then, and he's always been pretty taken with the Black Angel. He wrote a book about the history of it all based on oral histories from his family. His uncle was also the sexton of Oakland Cemetery when he was growing up. And he went through Iowa City's archives of Czech newspapers. She put advertisements in the Czech newspaper almost immediately. He says Teresa found midwife work pretty quickly, and she was really hardworking. And her son, Edward, or the Americanized Eddie at this point, was also working towards a goal, 
to become a doctor. He was already working part-time as a teenager at the local pharmacy. But then Eddie fell ill. And at the age of 18, he died from meningitis. Teresa had him buried at Oakland Cemetery. He was originally buried in a crypt, which, you know, is underground. And Teresa had a stone sculpture made of a tree cut short as a monument. Tim says on the side of the monument, she had a poem engraved that Tim thinks she wrote. Like a bud just opening commenced my life to be, but death came without mercy, without pity. The Lord had sent for me. I was not granted time to bid adieu. Do not weep for me, dear mother. I am at peace in my cool grave. Tim Parrott believes this loss forever devastated Teresa. She really had nothing left. After Eddie's death, Teresa moved around a lot to lots of different places. She was very, I think, lost at the time. She went to Chicago. She married a guy in Minnesota. That didn't work out. She came back to Iowa. Then she ended up in Eugene, Oregon, where she met her third husband, a German man, Nicolas Feldebert. This was his third marriage, too, and he had also lost his only daughter when she was just a child. He was quite a bit older than her. He had a huge ranch. It's also around this time that Teresa lost one of her legs, either to a snake bite or an infection caused by something else. We don't really know for sure. But this puts her in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Her third husband, Nicholas Feldevert, died in 1911. He had no heirs, so after Teresa sold the ranch, she found herself with quite a bit of money. She was basically a millionaires uh, by today's standards. And she had nobody to leave it to. Yeah, so what she does, she decides to start sending money back to her hometown in Strimolov. She wanted to do things that helped other people. She was always wanted to leave money to uh, her native village for libraries, uh, scholarships for boys wanting to be doctors, certainly in memory of her son, uh, girls wanting to be midwives, that sort of thing. Tim found by looking through the Strimolov town records that in addition to all the scholarships, she helped finance a gymnasium, bought the town a film projector, and she financed a poorhouse, which is now used as a nursery school. This is also when she decided to make a monument for her son and late husband, and to set up a place to be a grave for herself someday. You know, she was getting older. She wanted a bronze sculpture of an angel and a replica of Eddie's tree trunk to be part of the memorial. Teresa hired a Czech artist, Joseph Mario Corbel, but he never included the tree trunk in the design. She fought him over payment, but ended up having to pay for a monument that wasn't even what she envisioned. How odd. Yeah, it is. She ended up back in Iowa City from Oregon when the statue was put up in the cemetery in the fall of 1913. And she had her husband's remains placed beneath it and had the tree monument of Eddie's remains moved from the crypt to the angel. On the side of the grave, Teresa had one of her poems engraved. Tim found actually that she wrote a lot of poetry. And he thinks that people not knowing what the poem says may have fueled some of the rumors of there being an idea of a curse. For me, the clouds concealed the sun. The path was thorny. The days of my life passed without solace. Then it switches to second person. You always accomplished your work only for the good of the world. You fold your arms, your head bows down, your spirit flies away into the distance, where after your suffering, an eternal reward awaits you. Wow. 
Within less than 10 years of the statue being up, while Teresa was even still alive, the stories started because the bronze angel had turned completely black. So what made it do that? Well, it's actually not that weird. Bronze sculptures change colors all the time. Basically, bronze is an alloy made up of copper and tin and sometimes even other metals like aluminum, manganese, nickel, or zinc. In outdoor sculptures, there are a couple factors that control what color it ends up. The metal combination, the patina, which is basically a chemical combination that's added to the surface of bronze sculptures, and then the environment. I actually talked to an art conservator, Paul Benson, about it. And this is what he told me. Put a sculpture out in Kansas City, put another one out in New York City. They may turn completely different colors. So a bronze sculpture can end up being all sorts of colors, gold, brown, green, blue. In the case of the Black Angel, the patina and oxidation from exposure to the elements turned it black. And there are some green streaks on it, too. So I assume that Teresa was also eventually buried under the Black Angel, too, right? Yeah, she was. On the grave, you can see the birth years and death years for both her son and husband. But for Teresa's, it's just her birth year. And that's because she had no heirs to see that it be carved in when she died in 1924. (laughs) That's crushingly sad that she didn't have anybody to do that for her. Well, and I thought so, too. And it turns out that a lot of graves in Oakland Cemetery don't have death years for that same reason. If you don't have somebody that's going to take care of that final detail, it just doesn't get taken care of. Oh, God. Before Teresa died, I mean, she had hoped to return to her home in Strimolov. But she was so sick at that point, she had cancer. Um, She ended up spending her final years in Iowa City. And by that time, yeah, the angel had already turned black and the stories were circulating. And Tim Parrott believes that you can take away a lot about how Teresa felt about all that from an interview that she did with a reporter from Des Moines just a few years before she died. Her concern wasn't about the Black Angel. It wasn't about anything except her her son and her last husband. She seemed very concerned about people knowing who they were. Tim says after Teresa died, she sent a lot of the wealth from her estate to her hometown in Strimolov. Unfortunately, the citizens of that town would only enjoy Teresa's gifts for less than a decade before the area was taken over by Nazis in 1939. After the occupation, the whereabouts of the rest of the money was unknown. Most of the information about her is so much hearsay, and it's so inaccurate. I just think of her as kind of a lonely, elderly woman with a lot of money who decided she wanted to do some good things for people. She's certainly not the evil person that turned a statue black, you know. But legends and wild stories live on, even with all the true information out there. As Tim and I were talking, a visitor from Davenport came to see the statue. I came to bring it a dime or a penny. Actually, I'm going to give it a quarter. This is Jeff Chamberlain's second time at the Black Angel. His friend takes his picture while he places the quarter at the base. I I believe it blessed me, actually. You know what I mean? How did it bless you? A little bit of money. This happened and, you know, that happened. So He doesn't elaborate. When I ask him what all he knows about the actual history of the sculpture, it's not much beyond the wild stories of the curses. Don't be afraid to touch it. Believe! (laughs) Tim Parrott, who's holding the book he wrote about all the history in his hands, just stands to the side and laughs. I think people actually kind of prefer 
all the mystery and legends. Well, it's nice to know the truth. It's nice to cut through all those myths and legends and kind of know the real story. I feel like the real story is more compelling than, than the myths to me. Yeah, that is the true story of Teresa Feldevert. So, it is our final trivia for the season. I'm getting this one. This is really your last chance. So we've already talked about three people who laid a rest in Oakland Cemetery, but there are obviously many more. Who of the following people is not buried in Iowa City's historic Oakland Cemetery? A. Harriet Duell, a woman who sparked debate in the 1800s about a physician-assisted suicide after she starved herself to death. B. David Novak, a Czech pianist who died at a banquet suddenly after eating an allegedly poisoned goose goulash. C. Cordelia Swan, the five-year-old daughter of Chauncey Swan, who selected the site for Iowa City, who's believed to be the first child of settlers to die and be buried in Iowa City. Or D. Wesley Monroe Sauer, a mad poet who loved Don Quixote, believed in fairies, and lived on the outermost fringes of society. So, A. Harriet Duell, who starved herself. B. David Novak in the poisoned goulash. C. Cordelia Swan, the five-year-old settler's child. Or D. Wesley Monroe Sauer, the mad poet. Just, oh. I'm not giving you any hints. I'm going with B. Goose goulash. David Novak in the poisoned goose goulash? Yeah. Cody Newell, it is your lucky day. You have finally got an answer right. I did it! Yes. Uh, so that makes, for the season tally, you technically win, because I got zero right. Yes! I'm the winner. I win. <laughs> Whatever. Next season. <laughs> Next season. So thank you all for listening to the first season of Question Quest. If you have some ideas for places you want us to explore, we've already been getting a lot of really great stuff, but keep it coming. You can send your ideas to questionquest at kcur.org. Get in touch with us, and we'll put your ideas into our decks for next season. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Cody Newell, and our show is at QQ underscore podcast. Music this week is by Costa, Circus Marcus, and Suzanne Hogan. Our producers are Sylvia Maria Gross and Brianna O'Higgins. I'm Cody Newell, and you're Suzanne Hogan. Yep, see you in 2017.